Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This episode contains scenes which are not suitable for children and which some listeners may find distressing. This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. I don't know, but I, I'd been to school I had, and he and when I came out of school, he wasn't there. So I waited that night for him to come to collect me. About three o'clock, and he never came. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and he never came. And I knew something was wrong because he always came. He always came to get me. So I didn't know what was after happening. So for about two or three days, there was nothing. Phone didn't ring. I kept ringing the phone, I kept ringing the phone and the phone kept ringing. And then I remember thinking, if they're after getting caught, I better start ringing the phone. I cycled up to the house and they went, there was nobody there. There used to be a key around the back beside the bedroom window. Underneath the oak, there was no key there to let me in the back door. So what I done every night was, is, for the three days, I got out of bed like I'd delivering the milk, and I was going to the houses to check was the milk being delivered, because I wasn't sure what was after happening. So then I knew there was definitely something wrong because he wasn't delivering the milk. It wasn't that he just wasn't coming to collect me, because in a coin, I remember at the time thinking, well, maybe he doesn't just, just doesn't want me to walk anymore. So I kind of, in a way, I was thinking I was getting, I was getting a get out of jail card for you. I kind of thought he could like, oh, he moved on like to somebody else. That sounds terrible, but. Being serious, like I kind of thought, like it was done, like game over. And then it was grand, and then I'd been going to school for like three days. So I think it was the longest I'd went to school in such a long time. And I came home, had me dinner. Ma was there, Noel. They were all there, yeah. And then the door went, and I thought it was one of my friends or something at the door, and I ran to ran out the door. And next minute he was just standing there, with a big smile on his face, like nothing had happened. This is The Witness, in his own words. Episode 4, The Big Time. A part of me was kind of gutted because I thought I knew he was back from me, if that made sense. I don't think he'd understand. For them three days, I was probably the longest I'd been away from him in such a long time. So that was like, it was like a holiday. It was like amazing. I was normal for three days. Like, the phone hadn't rang. The mobile phone wasn't ringing. I, I had no coke. I was going to school for three days, but for them three days, that might seem stupid to you, but to me, that was just mad. And I was going home every day, getting me dinner and all, getting me clothes on. And I was always in the back of my mind, where is he, what's going on? Like, I was afraid, thinking. But then when I was going out checking, the milk wasn't there. I didn't know what was after happening, so I was just kind of, just holding me nerve, really, until I found out. And then, big smile on his face. 
came in, I think he's talked to me and my ma for a few minutes. So I think he said something about you being sick or something. There was some story. Grabbed me coat and said, you ready to go? I said, yeah. And I said to me ma, see I joined the week, when I'm back. And we got into the car. And when I got into the car, that was it. He wasn't like he was at the door. He was literally said, we're fucked. We're about to be in car. They arrested me da, like fuming over them arresting us da. Got everything. Apparently what happened, Billy was in the house and the two Joy Peters went in. Peter Kerr and Peter Joyce. The guards had been watching. Brian had obviously went to Clondalkin, got the smack, was bringing it into the house and then when the four of them were in the house, they went in after them and caught them all. Asked me, did the police come here? I was like, no, no one's come near me. Like, he asked me, like, had they raided my mouth and all? Like, obviously not, my mouth would have told you, like. And he was like, you didn't say that to anybody and all. I was like, I didn't tell anybody anything, like. He took the phone, I remember them going through the phone. They were all over the place. The house was obviously gone and John The game was up, they were all after being charged. Brian's dad, Billy, was charged. And so was Kenny. His house was raided, all their houses were raided. Brian's dad's house was raided. So the ma was obviously going through the roof because all the Collins of Avenue were going to be seeing the guards going through our front door. And from the get-go, he was devastated. He was absolutely devastated. They were all devastated, they were all shitting. And there was one thing he knew he wasn't going to deal with jail. And he was determined, no matter what, we had to get him out of jail. Yeah, he was freaked. And straight away, it was just operation. Get off these charges. And what was your reaction when you found out that they'd been arrested? Like, Well, I was terrified. I was just, I couldn't believe it. And part of me, I was like, oh, I was just glad they didn't come to my house and get me, I'll get me mad, get me. And I was afraid for him as well then, because I didn't want, I didn't want him to go to jail. And I don't know why I didn't want him to go to jail, but I just didn't want him to go to jail. Because, I don't know, the way, the way things, like, I don't, I don't know, I just... I, I didn't know what to do. I just done what I was told, and I I didn't want him to go to jail. Like he was crying and all. So the whole plan then was, he was giving up guns and he was giving up cars, uh, robbed cars, and he was giving he was robbing stuff and leaving them in fields, and certain guards were going to getting them to make the charges disappear. That's what he was saying was happening when he was doing the robberies and robbing the cars and, and, and armed robberies, cash and transit, TNT, trucks and smokes, alcohol, anything we got our hands on. We robbed a lorry loads of chicken one night. We robbed a lorry load of nappies. We went to Nestle. He robbed a truck out of Nestle chocolate. You name it. If it wasn't screwed down, he'd take it. If it was screwed down, he'd, he'd still take it. He, he, he trained me, he learned me how to Rob cars, creep houses, break locks. I had he'd burn locks off factories. He'd set the alarm off. The fella would come and we'd have put our own lock onto it then, 
And then when the fellas go again, we'd open the factory up and let ourselves in. And he'd make us rob everything in it. He'd just, he'd take anything, jet skis. At one time, I think there was three jet skis, two boats, uh, three or four mobile homes. We just went up to Betty's town or whatever and hooked them up and drove off the over He didn't give a fuck, he felt like he was invincible. As he said, he, he was saying he'd friends in the guard, he could get away with anything. He felt like he just had free free run of the place. Were other people in your life, like your mother and, and Niall and other people around you, like, were they aware of what had happened there? They weren't aware until, until it was in the papers. The trial didn't happen until about two years later. We'd stopped selling the heroin. We were just robbing everything because he wanted to rob as much things as he could to give to the guards to try and get off these charges. But then my ma came up to the house and my ma wanted to know what was going on. Like, And he was like, oh, he was like, we made a mistake. Like, like it happens in life. I'm, like, I'm, I'm mortified. My whole family, he was saying his family was embarrassed. He brought shame on everybody and all. And... Um, like he's changed his ways and everything and I remember my mother asked me did I want to come home she thought I should come home and I was like no ma I can't I can't like I'm happy here like I said that happened a few years ago like she she, she came loads of times she met Rita she came to she sat down with Rita and wanted to know what was going on and Rita told her everything was alright I was happy she was happy it was just the way it was you were just I couldn't I couldn't risk and it happened to me, ma, and my sisters. He thinks he's gone to jail. He's in the house. He calls me into the front porch and he starts crying. And it was just me and him. And he was crying. I said, I said why are you crying? He says, because I don't want to go to jail. And I said... I said, I don't want you to go to jail. And he said, if I go to jail, you're going to have to look after the house and look after Rita and the kids. And I was like, well, how am I meant to look after Rita? In my head, I was thinking, how am I meant to look after I always look after the house because I've done everything on the yard. I cleaned the yard, I fed the dogs, I painted the shed, I painted the house. That's what I always done the chores anyways. Like, cut the grass. They were just normal things. But he said, you're going to have to. But I was thinking... All these gangsters are gonna come up and eat me alive, like, what do you wanna hear, like? How am I meant to fight all these off, like? Because these had to be running the muck, ratting on everybody. He was telling on everybody, trying to get off of the charges. So he was convinced he was going to jail. He didn't think he'd done enough. Boy, he got the five years suspended sentence. Came home, partied, done cocaine, done drugs all night, heroin the lot. And that was it then, straight away back to business. The sheds, you probably could have fit 15, 16 cars in it. We'd, and then we built a big wall connecting the shed to the house. So we turned it into a compound. It was just a cottage. And then we made the rest, if that makes sense, we built the rest around it. We were robbing everything, everything around us we were robbing. And he was filling the shed up with stuff and he was... He was getting a reputation, and everyone knew he was actually selling heroin. 
So, and you'd have us going around fingers doing handbreakers, getting chased off, police up and down Capitol Road. So everybody was talking about us. We're saying everybody knew we'd built a shed. Everyone could see there was a big compound. Like, so he was starting to get a name for himself. So he started getting close with Fapus, and Fapus turned around and said to him, and the big fella Marlow wants to meet you. And Brian, like, was, uh, this was like, this was like him winning an Oscar, like. To him, it was the big time. Like, Marlow Hoyland was the top dog, like. So when, when you first met Marla Highland, how much of an awareness did you have of who he was? And- Everyone knew who he was. Everyone knew Marla was the boss. He would have been the most significant player in gangland crime at that time. PJ George was running fingers, running the drugs around fingers for a long time. And that's who Marla Highland used to work for. He was a guy who had buried men alive. And Marlow took him on and took him out, took his patch and made it bigger. Well, everyone knew Marlow was the top dog. He was involved with everyone. He had this stuff coming in from Spain, from all the people that you read about now. He was dealing with all them. He was dealing with Jaman Aim and Kelly and that. They got, they got shot dead by the IRA. Everyone he was terrified, everyone was terrified of. He was at the very top of the ladder. He was hands off. He was somebody who took a cut from every deal that went down, from every robbery. Never done, never done any work himself. Never, never got his hands dirty. He was the, he was the brains. He wanted cash, money, so as he could buy larger consignments all the time of drugs. And in Brian, he saw a useful criminal who would have been willing to probably do anything for him, but who came with a pedigree in armed robbery and also a storage facility. That's what he saw on Brian. Brian, of course, was blown away by the attention, but ultimately Marlowe saw him as being useful and nothing else. So I didn't think I was going, and then he told me to get into the car. We were going. We went down, went down to the Kappa house. We went in. There was a fellow called Shakur Dillon sitting at a stool at the door and it's just Marlow Hoyland staring at us and I'm like for fuck's sake in my head thinking there's going to be bleeding more here like I don't know what was going to happen like I thought what are we, like, what are we doing like I'm standing there either before we went he was had to give me about four or five lines of coke and I was like what the fuck is going on like so without me nut like standing there looking at him and he told Marlow turned around and said um, he said oh, he said who's the young fella he said oh it's the lips He's like my son he is. And he says, uh, I don't like talking around young fellas. He says, no, I trust him with my life for it. And I was standing there and I was just like, rocking back and forward, just looking at him. And he, told us, he tells us to, to sit down. And then Marlo turns to me and he says, uh, I don't really like talking in front of young fellas, but I've heard a lot about you. And uh, something about it, I heard you've you been getting up the loads. Up, up in the shed up there, been running the muck. And he said to Brian, I'm sorry to hear about what happened to you, but the heroin getting caught, blah, blah, blah. But you know yourself, if you need that, I'll sort it out for you. And he says to me, how do I know I can trust you? I says, because I've never, I've never told anybody in my life. And he said, put your hand on the table. 
And I remember looking at Brian. By, by doing that, he, my fingers were hanging over the table, so I thought he was going to break them. And I put my hand on the table. I think he wanted to see what I... Like, like, were they afraid? Like, So I put my hand on the table, and then he, everything went quiet, and then he just started laughing and grabbed me and gave me a hug. Says, I want your money, mess with you, and I show him for And he turned around and says, uh, get, get everyone drinks. And he says, uh, what, what do you want? The lips, I said, I'll have a Coke. He says, no, you won't. The lips, I'll have a Bulmus. And then the next minute, then he just started talking about doing business, saying, listen, we need someone to help us doing, doing the arm robberies. And he's talking to Kenny. We, yeah, we heard you have, you have the shed that we could use the shed. We heard you throw up to all sorts up there and we want to look into the business. Like, And he said, if you, if you want to get back into the smack game, um, I'm going to look after you. We, we, that was it then. We had a few lines of coke, a few drinks, and then we left. On the way back in the car, Brian was absolutely delighted. He was jumping up and down. He was so excited. He was like, we've done it now. We've made the big time, Joey. This is it, the lips. All this, he just, he just had anything we need, and we need, he's going to get a sword. We have Marlow Highlands backing and all. He just thought, he thought he was fucking invincible then. He thought this was it, like, if we're, if we're getting here, like, this is, this is our set for life. Yeah, um, he, he had pneumonia, he died in his sleep. The drink probably killed him, really. But they said it was pneumonia. He died in his sleep, so it's quite difficult. I kind of lost the relationship. I had a great relationship with Mila, but once he moved to Blanchard, I kind of lost it. It was never the same. And I kind of think that's what I've seen on Brian. I've seen a father figure. And then he... Obviously, took advantage. You can see uh, people say he seen me vulnerability and he used that, but he definitely swooped in once my dad was gone. And have your sort of feelings towards your dad changed at all over the years as you've kind of come to see what his relationship was like with your mother? You know, I've got more a lot more compassion towards my mom because. I didn't realise because I didn't see it because I was only a baby. I seen it happen to me ma later on in life. By a, by a later partner, I seen her being beat up. I only have good memories of my ma and dad together because they were friends. When I when I was there, they were friends, and she never man she never bad me out with them. She never told us these things. The rest knew because they were older, but she never done that with me. I was the ba- I was the baby, like I was the youngest so I was kind of sheltered from that I seen dad giving the older ones a slap but he never hit me has my opinion changed towards him is that what you're asking me yeah I think what he done was wrong yeah still my dad still love him but do I agree what he done no I don't it's not right let's not let's not fuck about like my dad was an abuser do you understand like, I'm not going to sit here and say he wasn't. He was just in a different way. Yeah, he beat women and he was... What he done was wrong and like, he abused me, ma. I think people... I think a lot of people... What a lot of people do is they say, well, it happened in my childhood, so 
it's okay that I do an excuse. It's not, I don't think it's an excuse, I think that's a cop Like, my dad said, my dad said his dad battered his ma, so it's all right for him to batter my ma. So, everything Brian Kennedy done to me, I should go and do it to somebody else. Is that how the world's meant to work? No, it's not. It's ridiculous. It's a copy. It doesn't make any excuse. The last time I seen my dad was in the morgue. And my master gave me that kiss. I'll never forget, in my life he was freezing. I didn't understand why he was cold. I gave him a kiss on the cheek and it was cold. Baltic, I'll never forget. And it's just lying there. And uh, then the funeral happens. We go to the shanty pub and I never go home after that. Well, like Mitchell's Town Cottage becomes my home, basically. Permanently. He called me into the toilet and he said to me, I'm going to go out here now and you're going to tell your ma you want to come and stay with me because you're upset. And you're going to sit back walking. You're going to get a weekly wage. And I'm going to say it to her and you're going to agree. So he went outside, where I sat down, gave it a few minutes. He said to me, my seems very upset, which I was upset. And then I just followed, I followed his lead. He told me, man... Man, it was, it was the sort of thing. It was August. My dad died. It was the summer. I remember it was lovely. It was the summer. The, like, the weather was lovely because I remember the heat. So my man was like, well, if he wants to go for the summer, he can to walk. If you are happy, like, if I wanted to do it, like, and I said, yeah. And that was it. Mitchellstown Cottage becomes my home, basically. Permanently. I don't think I, I, don't think I ever really grieved me that done. I don't think I've had that. I don't think I've had the chance. I think I remember the day I got back. I think I remember the Bradleys and that came up. They come to the sitting room, I'm in the sitting room and I'm watching the telly. They all come up and pay like what their condolences or whatever. The way they do in the fucking movies. I'll come up saying I'm sorry for your loss and all that. Marlow sends his wishes and all that crap and I'll pretend they gave a fuck. Saying I'm sorry that your dad died and so on. But after a couple of days then it was back to normal. That's when all everything goes into 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 motion. This big empire, this fucking this master plan Brian had. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.